You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast with Walker Mail and Doug Branson. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can follow Doug at Twitter, at uh, on Twitter, excuse me, at Doug Branson NBA. You can follow myself at Walker Mail. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports. We're going to take a break from the player breakdowns and today focus on the coaching search. Finally, there seems to be some info on who the final candidates are. That is assistant James Borrego and Boston Celtics assistant Jay Laranega. Borrego is, of course, from the San Antonio Spurs. So every Spurs assistant has been linked to a job so far. And the Hornets, they hone in on their pop guy. James Borrego is the one from the Spurs that they're going to interview once again. And so they go to what many consider to be the second best coach in the league after Borrego and Brad Stevens coaching tree. And look at the possibility of bringing in Jay Laranega. Jay Laranega. Which one do we do, Doug? Because here, here we are here in we a pronunciation go conundrum. Where I do not know how to pronounce the former Atlanta Hawks coach name, but now we figured it out. It's Budenholzer. But this one actually is a little bit more tough. This one's tricky, and it has a a long and it's it, there's a documented history, but it's not <laughs> extremely well documented. I had to do some digging. This goes back to Jay's father, Jim Larinaga, uh, who a successful college coach is is coached in. I believe he's coached in the NBA as well as an as an assistant coach, but. Yes, so apparently his grandfather, so Jim's grandfather, which would be Jay's <laughs> great grandfather, is so a, much on that is of Cuban descent, and Jim, his father, Jay's father, Jim Laraniega, took the Basque Cuban pronunciation of his name, so that is the tilde Niega. Right. But then somewhere along the way, he dropped it. But then when he went to coach for Miami. The Cuban pronunciation came back again, and so, but then it's nowhere to be found on like the Boston Celtics game notes or the pronunciation guide and the media guide. There's nothing, no tilde. So does it change wherever a Laranega is in the United States? I feel like it's very much geographic based at this point. A colloquial last name. State by state, the tilde disappears. (laughs) And you had the interesting theory as well about whether yes. the tilde, why the tilde sometimes shows up and sometimes doesn't. I, I question very much so that if the tilde was just left off of Larinaga simply because people did not know how to use it on the keyboard. They couldn't find it. They didn't know how to use it. I That's what I felt like. I felt like if you didn't use it and it was actually that it was correct that way, then you just did not know how to form an N with a tilde on top. I bet a lot of people, we could put that on the poll. How many people know how to use a tilde on a computer? What, what do you think that would come back? I think 20%. Right. So if you have to, if you're in sports and you have to write that name. And 10% of those people would be lying. I agree. I think they'd be embarrassed to show that they don't know how to put a tilde on it. I was looking on how to do it and I had to search it. 
just to make sure. And then I then I got scared and I didn't put it because I didn't want to put a tilde if there didn't need to be a tilde. And you also have the added effect of does it feel weird for us two white guys to be pronouncing it with the tilde? Is that in a territory we do not want to wander in? I think I can say Larinaga. I think the problem is when you start to go sort of ESPN Deportes on it and say Larinaga, <laughs> like when you. Well, you yeah, you can. I we're not going to go like all when in you, on that, right? When you like sort of pandering at that point, when you sort of put the accent on, I think that's where you get in trouble. But if if Jay uh, is uh, made the the Hornets head coach and he wants to have the tilde, then you give him the tilde. You got to respect the tilde. It's control shift. Tilde <laughs> plus the letter. So if it's an N, then it would be control shift tilde. And that's a four key combination, the rare four key combination. Yeah, that is rare. I, I'm telling you right now, almost no, I'm going lower than 20%. Nobody knows how to do that because you just don't have to do it. And I feel like that's why. So we're going to go with Laranega. We've even, I don't even want to get into the whole Laranega debacle. I don't even want to go in that. There's we, some discussion about whether no. it should be Laranega. I, I don't want to go there. It's Lair. I've never heard ever Jim Laranega's name pronounced with that R. So we're not even going to go to go there. So Jay Laranega, we're going to go with the no tilde, right? Correct. That's what we decided to go with. Zero tilde. Zero tilde. Tilde less. Tilde light. Get out of here, tilde. We're going to talk about Jim or Jay Larinaga and James Borrego. Should get the first name right. (laughs) Well, maybe that one I should get. Actually, his real name is James, but they call him Jay. We'll call him Jay, too. Jay Larinaga and James Borrego. Those are the two coaches that the Charlotte Hornets have honed in on after really, Doug, what we had discussed as a, a quite the pool that the Charlotte Hornets had discussed. I mean, there was a lot of head coaching candidates that were out there linked to the Charlotte Hornets. Dave Fisdale over the weekend, he gets the job for the New York Knicks. So it's not necessarily a guy that we, it's not a guy anymore that we can look at as a potential candidate. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of guys. And all the Spurs assistants that they did at least interview with Messina, of course, uh, Idoka, none of those guys look like they're in the final running. So it does look like we have it down to at least a pair. And we'll see which one of these guys gets the job. I know Larinaga was also down in Florida with Michael Jordan interviewing for that job. And I don't know if Borrego went to Florida or not with Michael. But I know that there was another second interview with Borrego as well. So these are the guys. I mean, we'll see which one of these guys ends up getting that Charlotte Hornets head coaching job. We'll take a quick timeout and come back with the lowdown on both head coaching candidates, James Borrego and Jay Laranega. Which guy would you rather have? Find out next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We don't want that Pacers talk. You got to respect the satchel. We don't want that Cavs talk. What you got, Doug? (laughs) I have the entirety. I turned this satchel a little loud today. <laughs> Be quiet, satchel. No, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 a month. You can help us keep making the Daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. 
Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode. So get double entries into our contest and access to content before anyone else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Every single dollar goes to making this the best Hornets talk in all of Charlotte. So once again, we are down to the two head coaching candidates and James Borrego from the San Antonio Spurs coaching staff, as well as Jay Larinaga from the Boston Celtics coaching staff. And Doug, let's start with Borrego. Just if you don't know him, here's a couple of bullet points that'll get you familiar with him. He spent seven years with the Spurs from 2003 to 2010 before leaving to join fellow Spurs assistant at the time, Monty Williams, on the New Orleans Hornets staff at the time. Of course, they were the Hornets then. So he stayed with Monty Williams for two years before then heading to the Magic to coach under Jacques Vaughn as the lead assistant. His only head coaching experience came when Vaughn was fired and Borrego was thrust into the interim head coaching job. Young and none of those guys... Uh, about, I guess, 37 at that time, Borrego would have been. So that was his only head coaching experience. He went 10 and 20, so not good. They actually had some talent on that team, which I think is a little concerning because that you think magic roster, you think, oh, God, that, that's an awful job. Of course, of course, nobody could have success with that. They were talented a little bit. They still had Tobias Harris. They had Vucevic, who was pretty good. They had Victor Oladipo, who was averaging 17 and a half. Is it Vucevic or is it Vucevic? See, I've, I've, I, I don't even want to go there okay. because it's Vu- I, we'll I've, heard, I've heard Vucevic. I've heard Vucevic. It is so Vuce- bad. Vuce- this is bad now. I mean, it's tough. Nicola. I know that, right? We can, we, can, we can confidently say that. My boy, Nicola. We're on a first name basis. Nicola's down there. So they had some talent. But they were young. I'll give them that. Aaron Gordon, I believe, was just a rookie then. So was Alfred Payton. So they were young, but they do go 10 and 20. So Borrego takes over for that. The, just those 30 games. That's his only head coaching experience. So those guys, they were major contributors um, that just had not reached their prime yet. So that was his only head coaching experience. And of course, after the Magic decided to go with Scott Skiles, Borrego made his way back to San Antonio where he has been ever since. Interesting notes on his time in, in Orlando. When he was made the head coach, they hired a lead assistant for him, and that was Igor Kokosov, who is now the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. You confident in that last one? As confident as I can be, Walker. <laughs> I was just checking. It's usually me getting corrected. I just go for it. <laughs> I went for it too, but apparently, I don't know, I was wrong on all of them. So yeah, Borrego at least was at least respected by Victor Oladipo and the Orlando Magic players. They said they did enjoy playing with him. And we did get some information that James Borrego was a guy down in Orlando that was kind of defensive-minded, that experimented with protecting the rim, so putting a couple of big guys down there, putting Nicola, putting Dwayne Dedman down there. And it kind of made for an awkward lineup, I believe, that it was kind of felt in Orlando. But that was his M.O., that he wanted to protect the rim. And it kind of led to some awkward basketball here and there. But who knows, maybe three years with Greg Popovich again. You know, you spent now at least a total of 10 years with Popovich. Who knows how things have changed for him? But we know that's the kind of stuff, at least, that we had heard with his time in Orlando. But he gave them, he gave that Orlando team an identity. He gave that team a mentality that they didn't have under Vaughn. I mean, that's why Vaughn got fired, because those young players stopped believing that that Magic team had any opportunity uh, to win or progress and, and I think Borrego did a, did a great job of getting everyone on the same page and saying, okay, this is how we're going to play from here on out. Win or lose, 
we're going to stick to this strategy. And you saw, again, you didn't see necessarily the results, but you did see buy-in. And I think that's an important consideration when you're talking about a head coach. Yeah, and James Borrego, again, going down there in Orlando, it seemed like he was respected, but you kind of look at the numbers. and I mean, because that team was talented, though, right? Am I wrong with that? I mean, you had Tobias Harris, you had Oladipo, you had Nicola. There was some pieces down there. They wanted to win. Yeah, they certainly did, and you can see now they've gone through, even since even since Jacques Vaughn, they've gone to Borrego as the interim, they go into Scott Skiles as the head coach, and they went to Frank Vogel, and now the roster just doesn't look even close to what it was even then. Yeah, I don't think you should take Borrego being let go as any indication of, of no, his skill as a head coach. I, I think there's a there's always that sort of thought that is this guy completely ready yet? And they at least, you know, the Magic thought that Borrego wasn't, and so he, so he goes to San yeah, Antonio. Interesting comment from Dan Feldman today, who I talked to with Pro, Fo- uh, Pro, uh, Pro Basketball Talk, and we discussed Borrego down in Orlando, and he got the feeling that he just wasn't ready yet. And he said he could be wrong, and it wasn't a, a an adamant take, right? But he said he could be wrong, but he felt that he wasn't ready. He felt that he was young, maybe that it was a little over his head to be the head coach at that point in his career. Can I be honest? I feel that way about Steven Silas, to be perfectly honest. Like, after his audition as as head coach this past season, I really felt what like— What made you think that, in particular? Just, I think, the the demeanor and the the inability to sort of— get the buy-in from the entire team. You saw Nick Batum specifically frustrated with his role within the offense, and you just didn't see really any kind of jump or turnaround. I thought he did a great job of sort of holding the line, but there, in the same way that Borrego you know, goes 10 and 20, I, did, I didn't think that they really progressed very much. And yeah, I, I think it's it's a demeanor thing. You could tell in the press conference a lot of times when he would talk, that he seemed to genuinely just not know about something. I remember discussing, I remember discussing his particularly some of the ways that he used Nick Batum and him just, well, you know, I, I don't know. We're just going to have to try to figure it out next game. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things don't. And I sometimes, you know, shots just have to go in, right? Like it's one of those weird things where basketball is kind of hard to dictate. You can't have that kind of attitude every single time. I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes I left that post-game press conference with Steven Silas. Of course, he knew what to do, you would think, but maybe not as much as other head coaches. You know, Steve Clifford was very transparent. He lets you know exactly what went wrong. At least you had a comfort level with Steve Clifford. You know, Clifford, that's a guy that knew what went wrong. I don't feel like we got that every time from Silas. So an interesting, interesting point on your part. Yeah, and I, I mean, listen, I think Borrego, you know, looking at, I, I watched some of his post-game press conferences from when he was head coach uh, for Orlando, and I felt like he you know, sort of confidently... Uh, talked about what went wrong in in each of those games or what went right and and what they needed to do moving forward. I was impressed with with uh, you know the the way he handled himself uh, during that period. Again, even though you did not see the results, there are so many factors that go into that. But I think that Borrego would bring some of that accountability that Curtis Polk talked about in his interview uh, with Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. Things that they're looking for in a coach, player development and accountability. And he certainly brought that uh, to Orlando and I think would bring that to Charlotte as well. Well, speaking of the Curtis Polk hot words that he used uh, in so hot and in, in Rick Bennell's interview with him. Now you can transition, as we will, to Jay Larinaga, who Borrego might fit the accountability ward of that. But also you can go to Jay Larinaga and he probably fits the player development, uh, the player development piece on what Curtis Polk was looking for. So if you want to hit some bullet points on him, 
He played professionally in Europe for 12 years, so very familiar with the international game. Went through a a few countries, was the captain of the Ireland basketball team, played um, for a team in Ireland, I should say, uh, played with France, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure some of the other countries, but he he was well-traveled within that continent. He coached the G League Erie Bay Hawks for two seasons and had eight call-ups head up to the NBA, which was impressive for him. A lot of people were praised, uh, praised him for his ability to develop some of those guys and that he was called up there. He is in his sixth season as the Boston Celtics assistant coach right now. The last five was actually under Brad Stevens. So he did interview for that job, but eventually that job was given to Brad Stevens at that time. So also when you look at the career of Jay Larinaga and where else he played overseas, it was just a couple of those countries that I mentioned. Also Spain, I believe he played for. So Spain, uh, Italy, uh, France. There you go. Yeah. A He's been around the world back he, again. He has. He is it's been impressive. And a then lands in Erie. Yeah. Oh, the beautiful city of Erie. So then when you go He's he's well traveled internationally, and then he also comes here to the NBA again. Sixth season under the Boston Celtics regime, five seasons under Brad Stevens regime, and Brad Stevens kept him on, which is you know I I don't know if you see that a whole lot, maybe every once in a while, but Brad Stevens kept Jay Laranega on his staff, and of course he is the son of Jim Laranega, who went to the Final Four with George Mason, I believe in two thousand six. Also is the coach of Miami and has had pretty good success with them turning them into basketball school. Interesting too, because I think that Jay had an opportunity to go and coach under his father yeah. and and said no to his father and decided to stay in the NBA. Well, and Borrego also, he was offered the New Mexico head coaching job and he decided to not take that and to stay with the San Antonio Spurs. So both these guys getting at least some college interest, but deciding to stay in the association. I love that. I feel like that's what you want out of your NBA head coach. You want him to have that sort of professional mentality. Like I have reached the mountaintop. I want to see it all the way through. I don't want to go back down to, you know, the basketball minor leagues. I kind of like that too. I kind of do like that. They stuck it out and you could tell, you know, you talk about an identity, you talk about an end goal and these guys had it, you know, these guys want to be an NBA head coach and they could have been just a head coach, which a lot of people, and I wouldn't even blame them. That's fine. Go get some head coaching experience. I don't know how tough it is to get back in the NBA. Once you go to college level, you probably kind of come up with some stigma, which might be something where they decided, hey, if I go down here, I know how hard it is to get back in the association. I'm just going to leave that off. But still, nonetheless, these guys knew what they wanted to be, and that's an NBA head coach. When you look at Laranega also, the player development is the key word that I think you have to mention with Laranega. Some defensive mindset as well. A lot of people would associate with Laranega. But the player development is something that jumps off the page to you. Again, one thing that he is revered for is his eight call-ups that he had. I think 12 overall, something like eight in the two years that he was with the D-League, the Erie Bayhawks. So when you look at the player development for Boston, Doug, I don't know if it gets any better than that franchise. We had discussed this already, but that franchise is amazing at developing talent. I think you can look at Brad Stevens, obviously, for maybe even being the first and foremost. We just don't know about the assistant coaches. Brad Stevens has done a phenomenal job. But besides, again, R.J. Hunter is the one name that comes to mind that didn't really pan out as a higher draft pick. But even their second-round picks are getting run. Look look at Rozier. I mean, right now for for their playoff team is going crazy. And I think I know for a fact that Marcus Smart is one of Laranega's uh, individual players, you know, that he works with on a daily basis. And uh, Smart has has turned himself into a a major contributor, and that was a big question mark for a long time. Well, we talked about Laranega and, for sure, Brad Stevens being responsible for him getting paid whenever he gets paid and hits the open market, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Marcus Smart absolutely owes them a little bit of money because that's a guy I would 
I would feel pretty comfortable saying would not be as good a player as as he is with the Boston Celtics right now if he was with any organization, any other one. You know, that guy is probably getting paid a little bit more than he should because of this coaching staff. And I liked Marcus Smart coming out of Oklahoma State. The guy, the guy is offensively atrocious some nights. But Brad Stevens will still leave him out there. And it's because he is awesome at defense and can find different ways to win you a basketball game. And Larinaga also responsible for Marcus Smart still being on the floor available to play for the Boston Celtics. I, I found this little nugget uh, from uh, ESPN.com. Uh, this was when uh, Simmons and Smart almost got into it. Smart started barking at the rookie, this article says, and stalked after him. Celtics assistant coach Jay Larinaga uh, basically bear-hugged Smart to make sure that he didn't go after Ben Simmons and, and pick up a suspension. So Larinaga putting his body on the line Good save. for his players. Good save. It's a guy that's able to risk it all in order to win a basketball game. So Larinaga doing that. You could also, I mean, there's so many players. Semi Ojale gets run. He's a second round pick. He's a rookie this season. Baines. Shane Larkin, a guy that we discussed coming overseas once again and is actually finding a little bit of a role. And I go back to a podcast where I was listening, Bill Simmons, where Bill Simmons discussed that their backcourt was just so full that they couldn't find a place for Demetrius Jackson, but it's somebody that they really liked. And whether he developed or not, that's not really what I'm looking at for Demetrius Jackson's case. It kind of shows you that these they don't give up on the young players that they draft just like that. They hone in on them. They try to make sure that they milk every single thing they possibly can out of each prospect within at least three or four years, and then they move on. But more often than not, they hit. Again, R.J. Hunter a 20th-something draft pick in the first round, that's the one guy that did not work out for them that at least I can remember in recent memory. Everyone else contributing in some way, shape, or form, and it's amazing to see. And that's what Curtis Polk and this Hornets organization want from their next head coach. They want someone who's going to not only be able to develop Malik Monk, Dwayne Bacon, but also the next crop of rookies that they bring in, but also take advantage of the, the G League team. You you saw Marcus Page and, and uh, Mango Mathiang basically hang around and be available, but neither of those guys were really a threat uh, to be a contributor with this basketball team. And a lot of that situational, but at the same time, I think moving forward, this team wants someone who is not going to be averse to, you know, taking those chances on players and, and seeing what they can do with that. And, and I love that so much. God, I love not just giving up on players because I get it. Sometimes to a fault, you can hang on to somebody way too long. I probably was guilty with that with Frank Kaminsky. I held on. And still, you see a lot of guys really start to blossom in their fourth year. I was looking at the Magic because of Borrego and his time there. Aaron Gordon, it's his fourth year that he started to blossom. He gained five points from his third to fourth season. Four-year guys. I think. And Daryl Morey made the comment on the Dan Lebitard show the other day that when you have three years with a player, you know. That's who your guy is, you know. And I think you would even go further than that. Maybe, maybe you know as far as far as maybe he can take a step up, and you know that that's not a guy's ceiling. But I, I think four seasons is when that's when you absolutely slam, slam the book shut, and you can look real smart on giving up on a player in three years. And I think you can look dumb at times. It's not exactly that it's going to hinder you, um, you know, as far as a franchise goes. You know, making another round. But still, if you want to give up on somebody early, it, it just might come to hurt you. Well, we talk about Kimball Walker's development in his fourth and fifth season, and when people discuss that around the league, they discuss it within this uh, framework of 
it, that doesn't happen. Like you don't see no. players develop Cl- that significantly in their fourth and fifth season. Clifford wouldn't give the name, but he discussed a conversation with an assistant coach saying he has not seen anybody improve as much as Kimba Walker has from where he was today, meaning in the middle of this season, to where he was as a rookie. Mm-hmm. And it took more than four years. And what I'm saying when we connect out that when we connect this to the Boston Celtics is that they don't give up on these guys. You know, Terry Rozier, again, an under 40% shooter, is now just killing everybody. It's crazy, and I love that. I love that. I think that's what you need with the Charlotte Hornets. A couple of questions considering these two candidates coming up. Stick around with myself, Walker Mail, and Doug Branson on the Lockdown Hornets podcast to find out the answers and maybe some of the other questions that we have for both candidates. You are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good start about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. The Charlotte Hornets have their coaching search narrowed down. Between James Borrego, the San Antonio Spurs assistant, and Jay Larinaga, the Boston Celtics assistant. Both guys have been assistant for those teams for quite a while. Larinaga on his sixth consecutive year now. Borrego spent seven, took a while with, uh, took a break with the Hornets, then in New Orleans, then the Magic, but then came around for another three years where he's been the assistant for the last three years or so. So now the question is, Doug, do you really care which one you'd rather have? Do you know about each one of these guys individually where you have an opinion on I'd rather have Borrego or I'd rather have Lair Naked? Does it come down to one factor on top of another, basically, or when comparison into another, that you'd rather have one of these coaches or over another? I think if you're someone who wants one of these assistant coaches that has a little bit of head coaching experience, then you would more lean towards Borrego. And if you really believe in the Brad Stevens genius and the Brad Stevens mythology that's building right now, then you're probably going to be a Larinaga guy. I think, honestly, you just have to be encouraged by the approach that this Hornets organization has taken in this search. Because, you know, remember back to the Dunlap search. That that came out of nowhere. They, They interviewed, what, Quinn Snyder? Didn't pull the trigger on him. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no one did. I mean, it took a while for Utah to to pull the trigger on Quinn Snyder. So uh, they were they were still a little behind the curve on Dunn that one. Hurt less. But Dunlap came out of nowhere. Uh, that man, Dunlap over Quinn Snyder, huh? That's a bad one. Dunlap over anyone. It was just like <laughs> he just came out of nowhere, and it was such. It was a head scratcher. Then it's it remains a head scratcher. But none of the names that you've heard. I mean, they're all respected assistant coaches, and every every one of these names, uh, people would say, yeah, you know, they're they're ready for for a, an opportunity, and that's really. We don't even know where this franchise is going, Walker. So I honestly, I said this a long time ago, I'm not sure how much this search really matters because until you figure out what you want to do with this franchise, how do you even know what kind of coach you want? Well, you're right because now now here's the one thing is the easiest guy in the world to blame is probably the head coach. And you're seeing that with Brett Brown and Dwayne Casey now. So it doesn't matter where the team goes. A lot of times the head coach is just handcuffed with that both of those guys were on top of the world i mean it's unbelievable and now 
They're garbage. They're trash. I don't. Fans are crazy. They're lunatics. Fanatics, man. even. They are. <laughs> they give are. up on you in one second. They, they will. It's crazy. I I made the joke today about maybe you just kind of hold off to see if Dwayne Casey ends up getting let go. <laughs> Stan Van Gundy. Just just uh, Stan Van Gundy now gone, which, by the way, that one you got to not go ahead and bring in. Right. Like Stan Van Gundy, again, the guy who mentored Steve Clifford. You get Steve Clifford 1.0. You get Steve Clifford before even Steve Clifford was Steve Clifford. You don't want that again, do you? I don't think this organization is looking for that. I don't think. They're looking for young. They're looking for fresh ideas. They're looking for someone who's ready to develop players and not uh, and not shepherd veterans. I love the fact that they've gone with these two guys as well. And even, again, a Fizdale I would have been just fine with. Messina I would have been fine with. But I'm happy that they landed on these two guys and they're deciding with these two. I, I think, I don't know if I have a real stipulation on which one of these two I would go with. The one thing I'll say, it brings up another question is if you're nervous about taking a disciple from the Brad Stevens coaching tree, just because we haven't seen one yet, you've seen a ton from Greg Popovich. It's amazing to see the success that these guys have had picking the fruit from Popovich's tree. It's unbelievable. You look at Budenholzer, who we have discussed at length. We have discussed also Mike, Mike Brown has had some success. Guys I didn't even realize were off the coaching tree. According to NBA.com, you do have... Doc Rivers coming off the tree. Monty Williams, we know of, who has had some success. It's crazy to see. Brett Brown, of course, the guy we just mentioned. I mean, now he at least is a 50-win coach with the Philadelphia 76ers at a time where at the beginning of the year, no one had them winning that many games. I mean, we've seen successful head coaches, successful basketball minds come from the pop coaching tree. We have not seen that from Brad Stevens. And maybe that's a question that you want to call in as far as a big factor. I don't know how much importance I put on it. I know this. If you want to go real safe, you probably go Borrego. If you want to take a little bit more of a chance, then it's Larinaga, but it's not like it's monumental. It's not like there's a monumental between the two, a difference between the two. So I think you're probably pleased with either one of these guys that comes and coach the Charlotte Hornets this year. We'll move on to the NBA playoffs, which has been kind of lackluster in the second round, Doug. I thought we were going to have an extremely exciting second round of the NBA. I thought it was going to be fantastic. I thought it was going to be fun between the Raptors and the Cavs. I thought the Raptors were going to win. I was wrong about that. They're now down 3-0. I thought Philly was going to beat Boston. I jumped on that bandwagon along with everyone in America. That one fell flat in all of our faces. And the Western Conference playoffs, we knew that was kind of going to be, look, maybe you like the Jazz. I hope not enough to buy into them over the Houston Rockets. They're now down 3-1. Maybe you like the Pelicans. They're now down 3-1. It's been boring. I mean, maybe it hadn't been boring. There have been some good games, but certainly when you look at the overall record as far as the series goes, it is not all that dramatic when you look at the record. The classic home run derby corollary. You get 25 ring-a-ding-dings in the first round, and then the second round, snooze fest. It really has been. I'm so. Which one are you surprised most of? Is it the Raptors-Cavs? No, honestly, I'm more surprised that Philadelphia has not been able to figure out a, a way to win one of these basketball games because – they, for the most part, have all been in reach for them. And I didn't... It, look, I, Toronto makes sense to me, right, because of their history. But Philadelphia didn't seem like a team that was going to be... Uh, that was going to be shook the way they have by by the Boston Celtics. I did not expect the Boston Celtics to be the more confident team. That has been the most surprising thing to me 
in this entire playoff so far. It goes to show you that there is something to this whole Brad Stevens effect. That's it. Hire Laranega. That's it. Maybe it is. Maybe it's Laranega doing all this. Maybe Stevens is just Laranega's guy. Laranega was there first. Maybe he wasn't bear hugging Marcus Smart to hold him back. Maybe he was just like X-Men style, just giving him his energy. Who is that bishop? Sure. Just giving him his energy. Yes. Enhancing and, and just getting the power away from what Laranaga was. Laranaga probably is the best defensive player, not even coached a player on that bench, but he gives all his powers to Marcus Smart to get him some money on the open market. I think that's what probably is. So Laranaga is a guy that now I think should probably be the Charlotte Hornets head coach. But now the Celtics with Philadelphia, that, I mean, I'm surprised about that one, of course, but Toronto, why do we keep buying into him, Doug? I bought into him. I was naive. The Cavs were never more vulnerable than they were in that series with the Pacers, and I thought the Raptors were going to get it done. We want to believe that there is another way to build a basketball team, right? We want to believe that it doesn't all come down to one megastar that can dominate an entire conference. We don't want to believe that it's LeBron James or bust. And so I think that's why fans, I think that's why the media... Uh, really buys into the Toronto Raptors because they were built in a way that says, hey, you don't have to be, you don't have to process, you don't have to get the generation-defining superstar to to get to the mountaintop. That They want to believe that, but LeBron James says, no, sir. That's why I kind of found Nick Nurse a little interesting because we talk about player mm. development. I mean, that bench is amazing. And Hello, the, Nurse. Yeah. I I was a fan when his name was first brought out in the head coaching circles. It is a great name, Nick Nurse, and also I mean, look at that development tree. I mean, when, when the players, I mean, you know, the that that bench is fantastic, and they've given those guys some time. And now you have a bunch of players making one million dollars contributing on that team because of their rookie deals. It's insane. It's insane with everybody. It's insane that the Hornets are looking at a lot of these guys who have developed players and actually have gone through with it Nick Nurse was a guy I would have been interested in but I I like where we are today I like where we are today right I mean it looks like you can at least have a positive outlook in whatever coach they decide to hire between Borrego and Laranaga you're giving yourself and your team an opportunity to progress it's there there will be no guarantees with Borrego there will be no guarantees with Laranaga there are so many factors that go in will they be able to communicate with what the Hornets are today will they be able to shepherd whatever team the Hornets become in the next few years. Still a lot of question marks, but both of these names, again, all you can do is go out and try to hire someone who is highly respected and and is a good communicator with players and, and hope for the best. All right, we'll see where that leads to this week if we get any news on that coaching front. Again, thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.